0: The power of Jesus Christ is sufficient for whatever situation you face in life. Whether it is a a storm, and we have appropriate weather outside for today's passage to give us some feel. uh, Not quite the kind of storm in the passage, but whatever kind of storms would come into your life. Relational storms, emotional storms spiritual storms, storms of discouragement. My main point in this morning's sermon is that the power of Jesus Christ is sufficient for whatever situation, whatever storm comes your way. So that's the point of the sermon. But I'm still going to preach it. I'm still going to go through it. But I'm just giving you the conclusion here right at the outset. I hope you have a hunger for God's Word. I'm praying even right now that we would have a hunger His word. If you have a hunger for His word this morning, would you say amen? Amen. All right, well, let's get into His word and work our way to this conclusion that I've already stated. We are in Mark chapter 4. Hopefully, your Bibles are open there. And we have been in chapter 4. This is our third week in this chapter. And I'm going to go through this short passage, a verse at a time, and make some comments after each verse. So we are at chapter 4 and verse 35. It says, That day. When evening came, He said to His disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Now notice here, He says that day. So Mark is giving us a cue, a chronological cue about this particular day. And if you look back to chapter 4 and verse 1, this is kind of the beginning of the day. It says, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. And so at the end of this long day, when evening came, he says to the disciples, let's go over to the other side, meaning to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, what has been happening, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, what has happened is there's a huge crowd on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee on this long day. And the crowd is, is, is so large, at a certain point, Jesus gets into a boat to teach. So that tells us something about the calmness of the lake and the weather that day, that he's sitting just offshore in a boat teaching. Now the first thing that he teaches is the parable of the four soils. We looked at that two weeks ago. So he teaches this and then at some point there's a break in his teaching and he gets alone with the disciples and gets alone with other believers and he explains the parable of the four soils. Those of you that were here, you remember this? You remember what what was happening? All of this happened on this day. So he's been teaching. Then he has kind of some breakout sessions, if you will. He explains this parable. And then he teaches several other parables. Those are what we looked at last week. He taught the parable of the lamp on a stand. He taught the parable of this incomprehensible seed is what I called it. This seed with this unbelievable power. And then he taught this parable of the mustard seed. And so now we come to verse 35. After this long day of lots of teaching, probably a meal or two in there, uh, a private meeting with the disciples, he says, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Verse 36. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. So this is interesting. So one of the main characters we've talked about in Mark's gospel is the crowd. The crowd is this great throng of people that follows Jesus, whether he's out in the countryside, whether he's in Capernaum in a city, wherever he is, there are these huge throngs of people, so much so that he can't even teach in their midst, but has to get in a boat and slightly go out shore because of these huge crowds. So we see in verse 36, they're leaving these crowds behind and they took him along referring to the 12 to the disciples many of several of whom are fishermen and so they're taking him along on this journey in the boat in other words he's not working the sails or the rudder or whatever kind of boat they had he's he's not this isn't a working journey for him they're taking him along he's a passenger he's a guest and they take him it says just as he was in the boat interesting these these very detailed historical things that are mentioned in other words Jesus didn't change clothes he didn't prepare for this journey he's just just as he was he's been teaching and he has been preaching and just as he is he gets in the boat uh, and, and travels with them now i've read this story many times but i don't know that i somehow i ever really noticed i've even preached this passage before I don't think I've ever thought much about this next sentence in verse 36. There were also other boats with him. Now, there's not a whole lot mentioned about these other boats, but I think there's a a reason for this particular detail, that it wasn't just the 12 or the disciples and Jesus that are traveling out into what eventually is going to be this massive storm. It's not just them, but there are other boats. And so what I think Mark wants us to see here is that the, the inner circle, if you will, those who are part of the way, And the truth and the life, they are growing. So there's more than just one boat that's headed across. Jesus and His disciples and other boats are headed across the Sea of Galilee to go to the other side. Continuing on here, verse 37. The NIV says, A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Now this is a a massive storm. Uh, we're going to be able to tell this as we work through the passage that this is a serious storm because there is no effort on the part of these disciples, many of whom are are expert seamen. They are fishermen. They have been through many, many storms in their lives. Their fathers were fishermen. Their whole lives have been at sea. But we're going to see here in a few more verses that there's no plan to fight this kind of storm. We have... A serious storm that they cannot go against. And this, and I'm suggesting that this furious squall, as the NIV puts it, is a divine storm. The waves are breaking, breaking over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, I, I tried to do a little research on, on storms uh, on the Sea of Galilee. We've got a, a short clip here of a squall, of a windstorm, on the Sea of Galilee. This is from January 16th, 2013. And I, I was kind of looking for the most vicious storms on the Sea of Galilee that, that I could find. And, uh, you know, I mean, the whole world's on YouTube, right? So whatever you need, you can find on YouTube or on Google. And this is what I could see. and And it's pretty serious. You notice there's no boats out there. It's not a day you would want to go out on the lake. But I'm not sure that the kind of storm that the disciples faced was, was anything like this. I think the storm that they faced was a divine storm. It was a serious storm. It was a storm like nothing the fishermen, the disciples had ever seen. Coming back to our text. So these other boats are around the boat that Jesus is in. And we come to verse 38, one of the more astonishing details in this story. This part you don't miss. If you've heard this story before, if you've preached it, taught it, read it in Sunday school, Jesus was in the stern, verse 38, sleeping on a cushion. Sleeping (laughs) on a cushion. In this storm that fishermen are are not fighting, we're going to see in a moment, they think we're about to die. And he is asleep on a cushion. Now I like that, the cushion part. Uh, I'm going to digress here just a little bit. Um, Can I say this? Sometimes I get in trouble when I get off. So some of us, some of us in life have been given more cushion than others to sit on, right? And some of us don't have as much cushion. And so I always get teased when I go backpacking. I always bring these little gardening pads that you kneel on. I always bring this cushion with me so I've got a comfortable seat. So anyway, this is really random, but I just feel uh, an affinity with Jesus here sleeping on on a cushion, in the boat. But I don't think that's the takeaway here from this passage. The takeaway from this passage, what I think we are to see here in the fact that Jesus is sleeping in this epic divine storm is that He is a human. That He is exhausted. Just before this incredible display of his divinity and his deity, we see these two things that can't be separated. They go together. His complete humanity and his deity go together. We have this tremendous expression of his humanity. He's exhausted. And he is sleeping through this epic divine storm. He's asleep. I don't know if that gets you excited, but it just kind of gets me excited that Jesus is so like us. He's exhausted and he's spent and he is sleeping on a cushion in the stern of this boat in the midst of this massive storm. Well, continuing on here, in verse 38, he's sleeping on this cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care? Now this... This response of the disciples here, I think most of us can connect with in a serious way. If you've been a believer for any period of time, six months, six years, 25 years, we we have experienced situations in our lives, again, maybe not a physical storm, it may be a spiritual storm, it may be a relational storm, it may be some storm of discouragement or threat that has come into your life. And you feel as though God is asleep in the stern. He's not responding. This is how they felt. I mean, they have just watched Him. In these previous chapters, we have seen Him do miracle upon miracle upon miracle, caring for people, compassionate. And this massive storm comes up on the Sea of Galilee, and He's asleep in the stern. And the disciples are feeling, I think, in a similar way, that most of us have felt at some point in our lives that, that, that God is distant. Now, they don't fully understand that he's God yet. They're confused about who he is, but they've seen him do these mighty, mighty things, and yet he's not doing them for me right now. Teacher, don't you care if we down, drown? Some of your translations say, don't you care if we perish? This is the end. Let me see a, a show of hands here this morning. How many of us ha- resonate with that? where there's been times in your life where you feel like God is far away from me. He's not showing up. He's not here even though He's right there in the boat with them. So verse 39. He got up, He rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. So we see this unbelievable contrast between his humanity and his deity, both of these things that are integrated in who he is as the Son of God, as God the Son, as the Savior of the world. They go together. they, They define who he is. He has authority over the wind and the waves. He has authority over all things. This is one of the main things that Mark is wanting us to see in this passage. I'm just getting connected here to, uh, to uh, the, the screen. There we go. We're in. So, my first point this morning, coming out of verse 39, is that the power of Christ is multi Multidimensional. Kind of a big word, it doesn't really matter whether you like that word or not, but let me tell you what Mark is trying to show us. This is coming out of verse 39, and it's also coming out of what proceeds in chapters 1, 2, and 3. We saw early on in chapter 1, Jesus' authority over teaching. Remember, he shows up and he's teaching at first in the synagogue in Capernaum, and then a variety of places, and what are people's responses? We've never seen someone teach with this kind of authority. He's teaching with this massive authority because the scriptures that he's teaching on are writing about him. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And so his power is multidimensional. We see his authority over teaching. And then we see his authority over the demonic realm. Again, in that synagogue in Capernaum, there's a man who's demon-possessed in front of everyone, in front of the crowd. He casts the demon out, so he has authority in the way that he teaches like no one has ever seen. He has authority over demons, he has authority over the forgiveness of sins. This amazing description I, I just love that passage going back to where he displays his authority of forgiving sins was this passage where these four friends uh, cut a hole in the roof of the of the home. Uh, presumably Peter's mother-in-law's home to get their friend who is paralyzed to Jesus. And in front of everybody that's there, that's packed out, uh, this place is packed out. Jesus says, take up your mat and walk. And everyone sees this undeniable, unbelievable miracle. But in addition to that, the primary thing that Jesus says to that man is that his sins are forgiven because of his faith in Jesus. And so we see his authority over teaching, his authority over demons, his authority over the forgiveness of sins, his authority over the Sabbath. The Sabbath was such a big deal to the Lord and to the people of God in ancient Israel. And they didn't think that his disciples should be picking grain and taking the grain to their mouths, even though they were desperately hungry. And Jesus demonstrates his authority over the Sabbath saying, yes, this is An obedient way to fulfill the Sabbath is to eat and satisfy yourselves when you're hungry. This isn't work. These aren't farmers doing labor that they've done the other six days. They're desperate for food. And Jesus shows us that He is Lord of the Sabbath. That the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And Jesus is the Son of Man and He has authority over the Sabbath. And we see that he has authority over creation, bringing us up to verse 39. This is one of the things that Mark wants the reader of this gospel to see, that Jesus has unbelievable authority. Now, coming back to this authority of of calming authority over creation, calming the, the, the waves and calming the wind. And, and really all of these things. I want to say something to some who may be doubting here today. Mark wrote his gospel. Um, he wrote his gospel, most scholars believe, somewhere between uh, the year 58 and 63 AD. He wrote it from Rome. He wrote it primarily for a, a non-Jewish or a Gentile audience. I'm bringing this fact up because these massive crowds, as well as the disciples and the, uh, the newer disciples who were in the other boats out on the sea, they all witnessed these things. People who were against Jesus and people that were for Jesus all witnessed these things, and they were alive at the time that Mark wrote his gospel. So again, I'm trying to hit on this idea that we sometimes have, well, we just have to have blind faith and believe this story that just seems so incredible. That the words of Jesus calmed the waves. You know, often a storm ends, but the surf or the waves continue for a long time. And so this is like a double whammy powerful miracle. The wind goes away and the sea is calmed immediately. This is not something they would have seen. But not just the people in those boats, but all of the other boats and even people, those of you that have been there, the Sea of Galilee isn't that huge. The people around would have been aware of this. Those on the shore. All of these miracles have eyewitnesses. And the reality of this gospel of Jesus, not just the gospel of Mark, but the truth about who Jesus is, the Messiah, spreading in the ancient world, it doesn't make any sense if these stories are made up. They happened, and there were witnesses, and our faith is reasonable. Do you believe this, church? So the power of Christ is multi-dimensional, and Mark is wanting us to see this power because Moving to the year 2016 now, we need to believe that the power of Jesus is sufficient for whatever comes our way. Physical storms, spiritual storms, emotional storms. Back to our text here, let's look at verse 40. The wind and the waves have been stilled. You're in the boat. There are other boats around. Jesus says to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Another way to translate this, why are you so scared? Why are you lacking confidence? Why are you so cowardly? Why are you so timid? Do you still have no faith? This isn't, this isn't a spirit of, of judgment as it is, I think, a spirit of disappointment. You've seen all of these things. But the disciples are a lot like us. They've seen all of these miracles, but the disciples are a lot like us and and they're struggling in their faith. And Jesus is acknowledging this struggle. So what I want us to take away from verse 40 is that the power of Christ is unconditional. And what I mean by unconditional is Jesus isn't up there, or Jesus isn't in the boat going, you know, I think I'm going to let these guys perish. They don't have the kind of faith they should have at this point. All of the things that they've seen. Jesus isn't working on a system of merit here. He is working on a system of grace. And he calms the waves and he stops the wind, not because he deserves it, not because the disciples deserve it, not because the people in the other boats deserve it, but because he loves them and he wants to show his grace. And and we need to see that the power of Christ that is available to us is not conditioned upon our faith or our obedience. These are struggling people that God here shows mercy and grace to. The power of Christ is unconditional. The New American Standard Bible translates verse 40 this way. He said to them, Why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? This should and did strengthen their faith. And reading this passage and allowing the Holy Spirit to apply all of these tremendous things that that he's done that Mark has recorded should be something that impacts our faith and helps us to grow and to be changed. So the power of Christ is multidimensional. The power of Christ is unconditional. Let's move on and look at verse 41. Here's their response. The NIV says they were terrified. And asked each other, who is this? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Their understanding from the Old Testament is only God has authority over creation and the sea and the wind and the waves. And so they are still struggling with coming to terms of who this miracle worker, this guy who has this tremendous authority is. But their perspective has changed. So one of the things you can pick up in whatever your English translation is, probably your translation has different words for how it translates in verse 40, why are you so afraid, the NIV has. And then the NIV has a different word in 41, they were terrified. There a different, is two different terms being used here. And these two different terms are not just for stylistic reasons. Sometimes they use different words just to not repeat the same word over again. But there is a change that's taken place in the disciples in this boat, and they are now filled with awe and, and so this the fourth point or the uh, the third point that I have in verse forty one is that the power of Christ is personal, it has changed them. they have moved from this tremendous fear they 're about to perish to now they have this awe it 's uh, the, the the word we 're familiar with we get our English word phobia. Uh, phobeo is the greek verb and then the noun uh, phobos these words are used together this great massive fear but it's not a terrifying kind of fear it is an awe kind of fear that they have the revised standard version translates verse 41 this way and they were filled with awe this is a better way to translate this verse they were filled with awe and they said to one another who then is this even the wind and the sea obey him. The power of God should leave us with reverence and with awe through what he has done. And this is what is happening to the disciples right now at this moment. We know that this is the way to understand this uh, verb in Luke's version of this same event. It's, he records this in fear and amazement. They ask one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. This amazement is, is a sense of awe, a sense of, of amazement about what God has done. So the power of Christ is personal. That is, it is there to change us. not for us to, 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 It's there for us to be in awe of him, but to be impacted and changed because of his power. Matthew Henry writes this. He says, their confidence, that is the disciples, lay in this that they had their master with them. And the ship that has Christ in it, though it may be tossed, cannot sink. The bush that has God in it, though it may burn, shall not consume. Amen? Now, if you're like me, as I was praying through uh, this passage and reading through this passage uh, this week, if you're like me, some of you are probably thinking, uh, what happens when he doesn't calm? the storm and the waves. Matthew Henry writes this about that. He says, sometimes when the church is in a storm, Christ seems as if he were asleep, unconcerned in the troubles of his people and regardless of their prayers and doth not presently appear for their relief. What about that, Mike? In, in this story, we love this story because he calms the waves. He calms the wind and they don't perish. But what happens when things when we cry out to God and he, he seems distant and He doesn't answer us. And the, the storm isn't calmed, but the storm takes somebody out. Maybe someone that we love. So I want to shift gears from this passage now addressing this heart response. I think a heart response that comes from a study of this passage. And I'm going to go to a place that I, I go to a lot and I've gone to before. Uh, what I'm saying in this, this fourth point is that the power of Christ is beneficial. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to put it on the screen. You don't have to turn there. We have seen through Mark's Gospel the multidimensional power of Jesus, that His power is unconditioned. It's not merit-based whether we get it or not. It's grace-based. It's personal. It changes us. And I want to suggest now that the power of Christ is beneficial whether He calms the waves, whether He calms the wind, or whether he doesn't. We know from our own experience that he allows us as believers to go through many storms. We know this. We also know it from Scripture, and this is why I'm going to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul describes not a storm, but a thorn. You're familiar with this passage. He says, "...to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surprisingly great revelations. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan." to torment me three times. I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, my power, you see the the linkage of these themes here. His power is made perfect in weakness. So sometimes his power is displayed by removing the storm. He does this in Mark's gospel, I'm suggesting, because he is trying to identify, allow the world to identify the crowd to identify, those eyewitnesses to identify that he is the Messiah. That's one of the reasons, in addition to compassion for the disciples, that he works this miracle. But there are other times, we don't know what the, the thorn in the flesh is here. I think this is intentionally ambiguous, so this passage is so applicable to us. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh is. There are all kinds of hypotheses. It has to do with Paul's eyes. It has to do with something Physical. The reality is we don't know, but we know that Paul is in pain and in suffering. And Paul is pleading with God for this to be taken away. But the Lord says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. The passage goes on and Paul says this, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, and in hardships, and persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Boy, that's been coming up a lot today. We didn't actually coordinate this. It looks like we did. But Paul is saying here that the power of God is on display even when he doesn't remove the thorn. Paul is recognizing this, and we have to recognize that too, and we have to come to terms with this false theology that's out there that would say, well, if you really have faith, he's going to remove that wave. He's going to remove that wind of your life, and he's going to set you sailing smooth. We don't find that teaching alone in Scripture. We do find that teaching in Scripture, and sometimes he does this but we also find this teaching in Scripture. And in my experience, he more often does this, but he also does what he did in the boat on that storm. So the power of Christ is beneficial no matter whether he answers our prayer, take away the storm, or whether he doesn't. So at this time, I want to invite someone to come up and share a little bit with us of a personal nature of someone who's gone through we've all gone through storms in life I don't like to just talk about myself and my own storms uh, or my own victories or my own self I like to involve you the body of Christ and in the various things that have happened so many of you know Chris Uh, Chris I just talked to her yesterday asked her if she'd be willing to come up and, and share a little bit with us, and we're just going to do this in a Q and A format. I could have done this with probably any one of you, but thank you, for Chris, for being willing to come up here. You're welcome. So specifically, what I'm going to ask uh, her about is a very sensitive and very recent topic, and so I'm thankful for your courage and the Lord giving you strength. But um, what what was it? H- how long ago was it? It that
1: was a year, August 12th.
0: So a year ago, August 12th, your granddaughter. Uh, just prior to that was a, a healthy little girl. What grade was she in?
1: She was in or how old seventh was she? grade. She seventh, was 12 and a half.
0: Seventh grade, 12 and a half this years old. Picture. Just totally healthy. And uh, a few days later, she's in the hospital. And why don't you tell us a little bit about what
1: happened? Um, Amelia was 12 and a half, really healthy, happy, really active kid, uh, But she had um, something that was kind of secretly lurking in there that none of us knew about. It was uh, a condition in her intestinal tract that caused the bowel to telescope in on itself. And this is something that's seen in children, but usually only in infants. And so uh, it was not suspected when she started having tummy problems um there was a lot of flu, uh, flu going around right at that time so uh she proceeded to get uh, worse and worse and uh, they eventually uh took her into the emergency room and when they did a uh cat scan they found that there was a large mass on the bowel and so they thought immediately that she had a tumor and uh, realized that it was something beyond what they felt they could deal with at Sutter Roseville. So uh, God in his mercy had caused the Children's Hospital to open up that day down in Sacramento. So they uh, sent her very quickly down there and took her in for surgery found on the uh, bowel. There was a uh, really weird lymph node that had attached itself right at that area, the appendix was nowhere to be seen, and there was a the beginning of a severe blockage of the bowel. They thought the uh, lymph node was cancerous, but it wasn't. And at one point, uh, my son-in-law said that there were six doctors standing around her, saying, "We don't know really what we're looking at here." So Amelia made it through the first surgery and uh, was talking with Jen, my daughter. Uh, about taking a shower and going swimming and getting a, a lollipop and all those things that kids think about. And uh, they and went to sleep that evening pretty in pretty good shape. And about uh, midnight, her vital signs crashed. And so uh, they went into crisis mode then. And uh, she began to... Uh, her body began to fill up with fluids. And so they attempted to get a... Uh, a drain in there, and they attempted to get what they call an AV line, which is the line they put into one of the blood vessels so they can detect the vital signs because hers were so weak they couldn't detect them. But there was so much swelling they were unable to get uh, the drain or the AV line in, so they came out and talked to uh, the family and said that they needed to go in and do another surgery, and uh, they were not sure if she would survive it. Let me, by th- g-
0: let me cut in here mm-hmm. quickly. So, so you've gone from this healthy girl to this message to you and to your daughter and son-in-law mm-hmm. who are believers. Yes, that she may not make yes. this, and so prayers are offered.
1: Prayers are offered. Tell we tell us had a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, you know, um, I was uh, this was this was really brutal because uh, the same day that Amelia got sick, my dog ran into me and shattered my leg. So I was home, uh, unable to be there for my child as she was losing her child. That was a, a hard place to be, and um, the Lord has been working through that with me a lot in that last year. But but she had they have a fantastic group of Christian friends that came to that hospital and surrounded them with prayer 24 hours a day. There were no less than 20 people in that room. And they set aside a room for them at any given time, praying and lifting this situation up to the Lord that his will would be done in this. And, of course, our desire through all of this, uh, it ended up being four surgeries, Amelia being in a a medically induced coma, um, and on life support, uh, it was a course of about six days in the hospital. Well, not in the hospital. Six days from when she got sick until she passed away. So, but during that time, uh, the staff was was watching what was going on. Um, it was grueling, and I, I don't want to pretend that any of my kids were doing well through this. They weren't. None of us were. But there was prayer being lifted before the Lord that his will would be done for a million for them. And the staff made comments that they had not seen anything like that before, which shows me uh, in our hardest things that God never wastes any of that. He always uses that. Doesn't allow these things in our lives. And is not cruel and cavalier or reckless by letting these things come into our lives and then just having them be wasted. He does. I've never seen him do that. I've not seen him do that in in this case with Amelia. So, a lot of prayer went up, but it was uh, the plan for Amelia's life that that the Lord just take her home on the twelfth and. Um, and, and I was thinking when Mike talked to me yesterday uh, about what do we do when our plans for our, someone or some situation are not answered, but I got to thinking about it, Mike, because actually our plan for all of our grandkids have always been that the Lord would call them to himself, that the Lord would guard their, guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, and that the Lord would f- fulfill in their lives his purpose for them. So I honestly do believe, because of what I saw in Amelia's life, and because of the fruit that came from this situation, uh, that our prayers were answered for Amelia, that she had fulfilled a purpose that God had for her in her life. And when, when she had done that, he very graciously took her home. And... Um, And so I'm I'm really grateful for that. But you don't see those things when you're in the midst of it. Um, What I have done uh, when I'm in a spot like this, I I lost my first husband in 1999. And uh, I have uh, reminded myself to look at the character of who God is because I think the enemy would come against you at a time like that and tell you that if, he, if there was a God that loved you, he wouldn't let this happen to you. If God really cared, how, how could you, he would let you say you love him. Why would he put you through this? And so uh, we can hear those lies, and, and honestly, they do make sense, don't they?
0: There's some sense to There's that. There's some
1: sense to that. Well, it's kind of the, Why the, would you do the that? cosmic. What's up with that? And yet, let, me,
0: let me come in here with this last mm-hmm. question, then I want to pray for you. So looking back now on this terrible thing that no one would welcome, God's power and grace has been evident. I've seen it in oh, many probably. ways, in, in so many. Back then when it happened, and, and since then, I've seen God's grace and his power mm-hmm. at work in you mm-hmm. and in family members. So I think maybe the last thing you could share with us is some evidences of his grace and his power through a, a time where the waves don't go away. Absolutely. The storm, the, the, the wind doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. And yet he's still present. That, that th- what, what we didn't want to happen from our perspective happened. Yes, This beautiful little girl yeah. I- is, is gone. And, and yet the Lord has been present in your life, and in your daughter and son-in-law's lives, through that. Share briefly yeah. about that, and then we'll I will. pray for you.
1: You know, the, the fact that, that we're, we're all still drawing breath is evidence of that. And the fact that our faith is is strong is evidence of that. And the fact that our families are knit even closer, and that we each person in the family has a desire that God's will would be accomplished through what? We've gone through that he would be glorified and that only he would be seen. And that's not a a, that's not a possible uh, humanly. There there are a few verses that help me. Mike, do I have time to share? Okay. Anybody who knows me knows I can talk way too much. Um, there, There were there was dark times during that time, but God always gives you something from his word. You know, I've, I've I've got this ratty old Bible. It's literally falling apart, and it's got verses underlined and and notations and dates written of of who God is and and has been to us in times that are hard. Um, but I love this. This is out of Lamentations, and it's uh, Lamentations three verses twenty six twenty two to twenty six, and then thirty two to thirty three, and it says. Because of, this is, this is my answer to your question. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. And then the other verse that has become a life verse for me, several of them are in Romans 5. And it says, And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that sufferings, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So that's another evidence of this. Is We have not lost hope and I think that's Such a great gift from the Lord. Amen.
0: Uh, Let's stand. I want to pray for you, Chris. Let's just unite uh, our hearts together and stay up here, Chris. And uh, Jerry, you want to come up here too real quick? And let's just pray for your future and thank God for his sustaining power in your lives since a year ago, August. Let's, uh, Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for our passage today how great it would have been to witness, maybe from the shore, but to witness the miraculous power that you have in calming uh, waves and wind and showing compassion to those that were out on the sea that day. Lord, it is much more difficult for us to see your compassion when you allow the thorn to remain or when we lose a loved one or whatever it is, the storm, that doesn't just disappear from us yet we're thankful for the truth in your word that you work through our weaknesses and through our trials and in some way even call us to 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 trust you and to have hope through those trials and lord i thank you for what i've been able to see in chris's life and jerry's life and in their extended family's life and christian jennifer daughter and son-in-law Lord, I thank you for the hope that they have and for the reality of your power being present as they have leaned upon you and maintained hope through this season. We thank you for your power and we acknowledge it even in weakness and we pray together in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. Well, just remain standing. The worship team can come up. I'm gonna have one more slide here I want you to take a look at the first stanza of this poem entitled The Bag, written by George Herbert, says this. And I'll close with this, and then we'll sing. He writes, Away despair, my gracious Lord doth hear. Though winds and waves assault my keel, he doth preserve it, he doth steer. Even when the boat seems most to reel, storms are the triumphs of his art. Well, may he close his eyes, but not his heart. Let's, uh, st- we're already standing. Let's sing together and respond in praise.